Welcome to The Aperture, a podcast for curious minds and critical social thinkers, hosted by me, Steph Cutler. If you believe a better world is worth consideration, then you're in good company. Each episode, I chat with someone with views and or experiences of a social issue, and at the end, I hand over to a creative contributor who has the final say. I'm joined on this episode by Daniela Poppy Thornton. I first met Daniela back in 2016 in a chicken shed in Wales, otherwise known as the Do Lectures. At the time, she'd recently released a report called Tackling Heropreneurship, which offers ideas for improving our collective response to tackling global challenges by rethinking how we fund and educate for social change. And this formed the basis of her Do Lecture. Daniela serves as a lecturer at the Yale School of Business, the Watson Institute and the Syed Business School at Oxford University, where she was Deputy Director of the Scholes Centre for Social Entrepreneurship. Her work has a global reach. She created an education tool called the Impact Gaps Canvas, which is used widely across the world on accelerator programs and social impact education initiatives. And the competition she launched called Map the System is currently rolled out in 30 plus global institutions. You've got to stick around to hear our poem, which was written in response to my conversation with Daniela. It is brilliant. And we were blessed to be joined by our guest creative contributor, Chris Redmond. Chris is a musician, a performer, a producer and a poet, and he's a regular at music and literature festivals. His debut collection, Let the Pig Out, was published by Burning Eye. As a musician, Chris has featured on BBC Radio 1, 2, 4, XFM, CBBS and Sky Arts. And as a musician, he has toured extensively with reprobate bands, his words, and worked in the more respectable world of theatre. Daniela joined me all the way from Denver, Colorado to talk about her work in the social enterprise space. And I kicked off by asking her to define what is meant by a social entrepreneur and a social enterprise. The way it's often taught is that a social entrepreneur is somebody who creates a social enterprise. And by that, people often mean a business that has a hybrid function that, that generates income, but also generates impact. In my view, social entrepreneurs and social enterprise are not, don't need to be linked. Um, social entrepreneurs are people who take limited resources and create outsized impact by focusing on uh, how to innovate within a system to create positive change. And the idea being that too often we think of the entrepreneur as a hero. And too often the way we teach and we fund social entre- entrepreneurship is about the individual, right? So let's say it's you, Steph, we're saying, how is Steph gonna win at solving the problem. Let's learn all about Steph and and award her and support her and celebrate her. And in reality, really complex social and environmental challenges are never gonna be solved by one individual or one organization. 
Slowly systems will shift, but it's always going to be from multiple angles, right? So there's going to be the work of the entrepreneurs and the innovators and the people trying out new things, but there's also going to be government shifting and entrepreneurs. So people within an organization shifting it, there's going to be nonprofits and for-profits and, and all sorts of different factors, movement builders, activists, educators, entrepreneurial journalists, right? People who are all kind of aiming towards a shift and slowly that system will change. So if our funding and our education is focused on the heropreneur, the hero entrepreneur, we're really missing the point because we need to be focused on a range of actors in a system to support collective change. So saying, how are you, Steph, contributing to this wider change rather than how are you going to win? How am and I going to change the world? Yeah, well, and how can't happen, can it? I, me, just little old me can't change the world. <laughs> well, you're making a podcast and you're helping to people <laughs> on issues. And that's what, it, you know, that's what it takes is like these little step-by-step things rather than this false idea that any one person is going to, you know, take it all on. I don't want people to walk away from this thinking, gosh, no, not one person can change the world. They can. We know they can, right? We know that one person can, but they can't, A, do it alone. And B, they can't do it if they think they can do it alone. <laughs> In other words, they can't do it if they're trying to win and beat the others who are doing it, right? In this competitive business mindset, the way we teach business is that you are trying to out-compete your competitors. You're trying to win. And unfortunately, oftentimes, social entrepreneurship is just taught as an extension of entrepreneurship education. And we need to teach people a different mental model. Instead of how am I going to win, it's how am I going to contribute. Instead of who are your competitors, it's how is my work going to add to their impact, add to their value, make them more successful, right? That's a different mindset. And every single one of us can contribute. So it doesn't take away the power of our individual ability to contribute to change. It just doesn't mean we're going to like get the only gold star for doing it. Yeah, got you. It's almost like that heropreneurship is it feels a bit like there's a bit of ego in there too, isn't there? And that idea that, you, you know, winner takes all and you're the big I am and it doesn't fuel social impact in the way in which we need to see it happen. So you've been quoted as saying, we don't need more and more social businesses. What we need is more social impact. And the way to do that, in my opinion, something that's missing in, in the way to do that is to understand a, a system and ask questions and learn. I often use the term apprentice with a problem. Mm-hmm. It's a term that I borrowed from Jessamine, the CEO of the, the Peary Foundation. And I love the term because it's basically saying, if you haven't lived a problem, if you don't have lived expertise in a problem, uh, and a woman named Baljeet Sandhu has written a ton about lived experience and lived expertise and highly recommend anyone listening to to go research more about that and her work. But lived expertise in the way that she talks about it is someone who has lived experience of a social injustice, right? I, I, you know, maybe someone who 
was incarcerated, someone who was homeless, someone who experienced uh, racial prejudice, experienced different things that they are then working to change, right? Some of us want to work on issues we didn't live, right? You might have, you know, in my particular experience, I, I worked in Cambodia for six years uh, working on education, but I am not Cambodian and I, I didn't ex- live the experience of the Cambodian education system. And I took a heropreneur model where I thought I would just get off the plane and help and jump in. But I didn't know the language, didn't know the culture, didn't know the history, didn't know a lot or at all and anything about that system and that problem. And so the concept of apprenticing with a problem, I love as a way to say, now, if I really care about this issue of homelessness in my community, but I don't really know a lot about it and I don't have lived experience of that injustice, maybe I don't need to go be the CEO founder right straight out the door and apply to some business plan competition with my idea. But I'm really good at finance. Maybe I'll go be the CFO for a, a nonprofit working on that issue and I'll learn and I'll ask questions and I'll, and I'll meet more people and I'll understand more. And eventually I might or might not find a different pathway in that might you know, include some form of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Or I might find a different way to contribute to the system that doesn't have to be me as the founder. I'm nodding along. And I know Baljeet well, um, and I'll include um, a link to her report in the show notes too, because it is amazing. So what you're advocating for then is almost to leave your ego at the door and to come alongside those with lived experience of the community or the culture in which you care is improved and you want to leave somewhere in a better space, in a better way. But it's the approach really, isn't it, you're talking about? how we go about doing this because I remember you talking about your experience in Cambodia and um, I probably wasn't the only one in the audience slightly cringing myself of these ideas that we've had in the past of of volunteering and and jumping in feet first thinking we know best and really like where does that even come from we teach it that's where it comes from you know we teach that, that there's, you know, at least here in America, I know we teach that you have a responsibility to help, you know, poor people in poor places or something, you know, so it's like students, young people who are volunteering, it's not their fault that they're jumping in head first to work on a problem they know nothing about. That's what they're sold. That's what they're told to do. They get school credit or university credit, college credit to, to go volunteer abroad, you know, um, I, I think that's ironic sometimes that, that high school students in some fancy high school might get credit at their school to go volunteer, but if they're going to go learn and study, that you know they they might not, right? Which is which is backwards because we're telling them that they have all the tools they need to go improve someone else's life, and instead, what we should be saying is, you know, guess go abroad, learn, try to leave the world better than you left it. But it's actually in order to do that, you're going to have to shift how you live, how you travel, how you give, how you vote, all those things, they take more than your week (laughs) volunteering in an orphanage, it's going to take you shifting how you are implicit and complicit possibly in this, Mm -hmm. in this broken system. And what a richer experience you will have. Correct. If you learn. And if you focus, also, we're, we're failing the young people by telling them it's easy, right? We're failing them by saying, mm-hmm. 
go sign up, do this thing, pat yourself on the back, you're done, go home, right? You know, you've, you've done your part. And some people, I call that savior overload. Some people like, <laughs> I've done it. Let me put my pictures up on social media. But other more enlightened or, or mm-hmm. um, more like listening focused uh, travelers might leave that experience being like, I actually didn't do a lot of good. And you told me it was easy. And yet, even though it was supposed to be easy, I still couldn't do it. Right. So now I feel like a failure or I'm just like so overwhelmed by poverty or war or environmental degradation or whatever complex system it is. And no one has held my hand through the experience to have any glimpse of hope that we can get through it. Right. And so now I'm like, now I'm like in poverty overload. I'm completely overwhelmed because I, you told me I could just volunteer for a week and I'd help and I clearly haven't. Right. So I think that the real value we can help is to help students start to unpack complexity, start to look at complexity, start to consider systems and how they're interconnected and, but yet still possible to shift. It's just not going to shift in a week. And it doesn't all fall on you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Crazy, really, isn't it? When you stop and think about how we go about things sometimes. So what do you advocate for instead then, Daniela? So I currently talk about my work as a term I just used called systems-led leadership. And let me just tell you where I got to that. I used to say, okay, if you're not going to be a founder necessarily, you're going to be open to different pathways to change. Let's call it systems change leadership. And I, and I did a, a TEDx talk where I talked about systems change leadership. And then I'd have people come up to me afterward. And then, you know, they'd say, oh, I watched your talk. I, really, I thought I was a social entrepreneur. And now I realize I'm a systems change leader. And I'm like, oh, this is not working. It's <laughs> <laughs> not exactly what I meant. Now the ego is even bigger. If you think, not only do you think I'm starting this social venture that's going to change the world. Now you think I'm actually, I'm the one changing the system, right? And so I use the term now systems led leadership. And the reason I do that is to say, even if you sit on your hands, you do nothing and you just take a nap for a year, the system will change. The system will change, right? It's changing all the time, whatever that system is, education system, the healthcare system, right? Um, The justice system, whatever it is, things are changing all around you, right? And so to be systems led, You have to be tapping into that change, checking in and saying, what's happening? What's going on in the system? What's holding this in place? Who benefits from this problem staying a problem? Who's already trying to solve it? What's going on? Right? Okay, now I know a little bit more about the system. I can then look inside to myself and say, what am I good at? What do I care about? You know, where, how might I contribute? How is... What power dynamics are at play that relate to me in this system? Like, where's my place? You know, where's an opportunity? There's never just one, one possible leverage point. There's tons, yeah. always, right? Yeah. Do I know a lot about policy change? No. So maybe I shouldn't work on policy change, but I might be able to work on behavior change, or I might be able to contribute to, you know, a different venture that already exists that I have a skill set that they need, right? So, so that's systems-led leadership is I look at the system, I learn a little bit about it, I think about what's happening and I, and then I look inside to myself and I say, how might I contribute? And I start to take action. And then it's constant. It's a circular pattern because I, now I look in again and say, wow, the system's changing. Are we, are we still doing the right thing? 
is this, does this work still matter based on how this system is changing? Are we contributing or is, is this the right path? You know, okay, yeah. let's shift, right? And so, so your actions then become led by what's happening in the system. Because you understand the system and you understand much better the problem that you wish to improve. And, and you're never going to understand it all. Of course. But you're committed to learning about it, right? You're committed to understanding it. And too often in hackathons and business plan competitions, you're asked to solve, you're incentivized to come up with a solution, but you're not incentivized to come up with like a, learn, a path to learning. And that's, that's what we really need to incentivize, right? So those same young people who are going to go abroad, instead of saying, you know, here's your impact for the week, it's, it's what have you learned? What are you going to learn so that you can have a positive impact? The book I co-authored called Learning Service, Rethinking Volunteer Travel, we, we framed the book around a quote that, that my co-author Claire Bennett uh, had heard as one definition of the Vajra. The Vajra is a, a Mahayana Buddhist symbol that kind of looks like a whole bunch of figure eights all connected. And just like the figure eight, the concept is action without learning is ignorance. Learning without action is selfishness. So action without learning, I get off the plane, I know nothing about Cambodia, but here I am, I'm going to change things. That's <laughs> ignorance. Learning without action so I'm just going to come interview a whole bunch of people and learn about poverty, or I'm just going to sit in my ivory tower and learn about poverty, but with no intention to positively act on that afterward. Well, that's selfishness, right? I'm using your time to learn about your state of affairs, but I'm actually going to do anything about it. That's selfishness. Mm -hmm. right? So it's a constant balance of saying there'll be moments when I'm more in action and moments when I'm more in learning but just like systems-led leadership as a concept, you need to constantly be tapping back into that system, that learning, and, and helping that de design your future action. So hence, we don't need any more social businesses with a problem they've already identified, with solutions they've already included in their business plan of how they're going to fix them. It's flipping the approach how can you include that in the education system? Because this is a space where you operate yeah, so it doesn't mean that, that no more social businesses, but what it, it means is I look at the system, I learn more. There's going to be multiple opportunities for leverage points, right? So I designed a really basic tool called the Impact Gaps Canvas, which asks you to do exactly that. And it's used in a number of universities and education programs around the world now where people say, the left side of the canvas says, what's the problem? What's holding it in place? What are the numbers? The right side said, who says, who's already trying to solve it? What's already being tried? And in the middle is the gaps. And there's always going to be multiple gaps. There's gaps in policy. There's gaps in uh, education. There's gaps in, you know, geographic focus or whatever. Mm -hmm. so, so then you look at the gaps and you look at yourself, right? It could be that there's an opportunity, both from your own skill set and knowledge and connections and and what's happening in the system to start a social enterprise. doesn't mean that we would not, might not start a social enterprise, but you're going to start it with the intention to improve the system rather than to win. So let me give you an example. There's a, a school foundation awardee. They, they award social uh, entrepreneurs every year. Um, and this organization is called Angaza. 
And I like the story of Angaza as an example of an organization that went in initially to start a social enterprise, which was a solar as a service company. So there's a lot of solar as a service companies you might have heard of off-grid electric or um, MCOPA or any number of others where they where they install solar panels on some rural off-grid communities home or, or, or workplace and then people pay for that solar week after week month after month um, as a service just like you might pay for um, you know grid-based electricity as, as a service so Angaza started out to just be another social enterprise that was also doing solar as a service. And what they realized when they started out was one of the first things they had to do and every other organization like them had to do was to create a, an app for a, a smartphone so that people could go and, you know, turn on the solar or, you know, or turn it off if people aren't paying or, you know, create a payment platform so that people can pay through it or whatever that is, right? And you can imagine all these different solar companies doing this work. They're all spending X numbers of hundreds of thousands of pounds or dollars or whatever to create these apps. And so what they realized in, this, in the process of starting this social venture was actually if they really wanted to contribute to the system, they could make a white label app so that the next company that comes along and the next 50 companies that come along don't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to create their own proprietary app. They can use this app and they've then realized actually it can also be used for selling solar cook stoves or gasifying, you know, a gasifying stove mm. or a water pump or whatever. Right. And, and so instead of becoming a, becoming yet another solar as a service company, they, in my mind, shifted towards a more systems-led contribution by saying, we're going to create something. It happens to still be through a social business model, but we're going to create something that by creating it is making other people's work easier. It's making other people's impact bigger. It's saving other people money so that they can focus on change. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I've got you. It's just so much smarter. And the word that was on my mind as you were talking, Daniela, was collaborative. This is just a much more collaborative approach, isn't it? And it can be collaborative in the sense of we are working together. There's actually a whole movement called collective impact, which is about how multiple organizations, individuals, government bodies, activists, whatever that is, in, that are working towards the same issue might work together, right? Mm -hmm. So an example here would be, there's a, a, a brilliant social entrepreneur named Bred, Ned Breslin. Uh, he used to, to work on water issues um, in Africa for decades and did that in a collective impact way. And recently in the last number of years moved to uh, Colorado in Denver, he runs something called the Tennyson Center for Children. It's kind of a center for last resort for kids who have been failed by the foster care system. And, and it supports kids both as a residential way for the short term to get them back into homes, or also as like a school when, when kids that are um, not thriving in, in local government schools as part of the foster care system as well, trying to help them get, get the support they need. And so you know, when he took over the organization, he realized, gosh, we're really connected to the police department. We're really connected to the education 
system because our, our kids, you know, our students are in these public schools. We're really connected to the foster care training system and the government bodies that manage it. In terms of our kids are really connected to it, but we're not working with these people in any mm. sort of collaborative way. So collective impact model would say, okay, let's get all these groups together. And that's kind of, that's what they're doing. And they're, they have like everyone forever kind of model where they're saying, we don't want anyone left behind. Let's share knowledge. Let's share information. Let's share policies so that we can work to, to support these kids so they don't end up in the care system to begin with, right? That's a long-term collaborative, collective impact type of, you know, initiative that takes really deep understanding and really strong um, uh, commitment to working together. You can still do systems-led leadership without that, which is, I guess, what I, you know, the example of on Gaza they didn't need 10 other people to hold their hands and say, we're going to work on this together. We're committing to do this. What they did was they found a hole and said, we can actually create something that we think other people can use and, and let's keep adjusting it until people start using it. So you've really, really well described this stuff that you work on and the importance and the approach. I'm nodding along and I can't imagine why other people wouldn't be nodding along. Like, what's not to like about this? I'm curious, do you get pushback? Generally at the highest level of the concept, no. Where I get more pushback is there's educators or funders who are used to funding individual entrepreneurs, individual projects. And it's just hard for them to change their systems, you know, or they'll say, oh, I have a 10-week course on how to design a social enterprise. And I want to add the impact gaps canvas and systems led leadership as the first class, you know, where people can learn about a system and then they're going to design their social enterprise. And I say, you can do that. But the point of the impact gaps canvas and systems led leadership concept is that the outcome might or might not be a social enterprise. You might at the end of that think, gosh, I don't want to start a new venture. I want to like work on connecting these two ventures that exist, or I want to actually replicate what this place is doing, or I want to help change policy, or I want to actually educate people about, you know, there's, I had a student who, who, who had applied to this institution because she thought she needed to apply with a social venture, which was this concept of a uh, women's feminine hygiene product in sub-Saharan, for sub-Saharan in Africa. And I had just interviewed, I got assigned to be her mentor, and I just interviewed this nonprofit or foundation that had invested in 21 different models for women's feminine hygiene products in sub-Saharan Africa. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not room for a 22nd or a 23rd or a 25th. There is. Okay. But was this young woman ready to do that? She didn't know much about sub-Saharan Africa. She wasn't going to actually go live there for a long time, probably in the, at least in the short term. And all of a sudden, I, when I told her, hey, you know what you could do? You're, you're a researcher. You're a great researcher. You can research these 21 models and, and share knowledge with the world. Of, these are the materials these ones are using. These are where they're focused on. These are their different sales models. Here's who's giving it away. Here's who's charging. Here's what they're charging. Here's how they're selling. Here's how they're making, right? And all of a sudden, she realized, wow, I can use my skill set to contribute to this system of trying to you know, change, change how women's feminine hygiene products are sold, procured, made, uh, affordable in, in, in an area. Well, now, incredible value to add. 
Yes, what incredible value to add. And the problem is if, if your course or your class is simply designed for you to come up with a new social venture, you will overlook that type of contribution. Wow. Thank you so much, Daniela. That's been really insightful. I think this idea of heropreneurship, leave your superhero cape at the door and basically to see where your skills add value and to consider that as a way forward as opposed to being it basically and creating a new something. I mean, that's what I've taken from this conversation. Am I somewhere on the right lines? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds like a great summary. And I think uh, the key concept is just to care about an issue, right? And, and the more you know about something, the more uh, proximity you get to it, either through your own lived experience or through apprenticing with a problem, through research, however you want to, to start to learn and then get, get more and more proximate to that issue and the people who have been impacted, if that's not you, then you start to care. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going to lead you to want to find a path to impact, right? If you don't care, you're just going to, you know, you just care about being a founder, then we're starting in the wrong place. Thank you to Daniela. Um, links to her TEDx talks and other work will feature in our show notes. And now over to our poet, Chris Redmond. Chris is artistic director of Tung Fu, one of the UK's leading spoken word shows where poets, comedians, storytellers and rappers improvise to music and film. They featured in BBC Radio 2's The Art Show with Jonathan Ross and on a TV special on Sky Arts. And they've toured from London to Dublin to Rio to Cape Town and last month produced their first studio album. The notion of creating a collective impact really chimed with Chris and some of the work he's currently undertaking and so inspired just the most beautiful response to my chat. Imagine a murmuration of starlings, 10,000 birds folding and flowering, sky calligraphers bending evenings into pointless patterns of their impulse speckle-winged flames churning the air. Now, imagine those starlings in competition, all attempting to outspin, outmaneuver each other, bent on accolade and achievement. The sky would be mud. They don't question the system that nurtures their flocking instincts. Perhaps they just know there is uplift when their wings beat synchronous. When we the smart mammals, ground dwellers with bank accounts and ambitions, watch the starlings. We are wonder eyes, chests swell with awe breathing. Can we not learn? Must we exist as the antithesis to starlings? How we raise ourselves to believe success is a synonym for winning. Every child learns this over and over with each book, film or song. The I becomes blind to the we, the us too defined by the them until even the noblest of intentions can flounder into blame and bluster if the impulse is to be heroic. Let's take off our capes for a moment and our shiny pants. Put our weapons and our lead role ambitions down 
and listen. A musician doesn't compete to outperform another. They learn from each other to fill the world with more music. Can success be synonymous with service? Can how can I win transform to how can I help? How do we want to fly? Like Superman, trying to spin the earth backwards with his own stubborn will? Or like starlings, following each other's lead, lifting each other up? Steph Cutler. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe so you don't miss a future episode of The Aperture on Apple, Spotify, YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts from. Please like, share, leave a review and The Aperture can be found on Facebook and Twitter. This episode of The Aperture was produced by VI Podcasting. See you next time for more social change thinking. 